1: Awesome. So just so everybody knows, we had a technical difficulty, and Nancy was like, okay, well, let me figure it out. She just whipped out a phone, put it on a a thing like she's done this a million times. And she's like, all right, here we go. Let's get going. So, Nancy, you are a pro.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, as I was saying to you, being on the speaking circuit for a while and making probably thousands of presentations in my life. When there are technical difficulties, I've learned over the years not to freak out.
1: <laughs> yeah, be calm. Be calm when stuff happens. So yep. we're going to talk about cross-generational things. You are going to talk about marketing. You have gone through four different crises uh, in your lifetime around like different economic crises. So we're going to chat into It's like, well, is this any different? Is this new? Is this the old thing? We, we we and and you are on Forbes. I was I was kind of looking looking around to find more information. You're called the bad girl out there by Forbes for for actually creating some marketing news and figuring out how to take calculated risk. So folks, jump in because this is going to be a lot of really good conversation, and we're going to get into myths and reality. So Nancy, you are the On Switch founder and CEO. You started that in your 40s uh, when most people would say, well, it's it's, it's time not to. Um, And you have dual citizenship in conventional and digital media worlds. You have written books. uh, You have worked with Citibank, MasterCard. You've done a whole bunch of things together. So, Nancy, welcome to the show. and, And share a little bit about yourself that I didn't share.
0: Sure, sure. I'll give you the condensed version. But I was an English and psychology major in college I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I fell into marketing by accident. I started out working in publishing, um, then ended up in financial services. And ultimately, when I left corporate life, I was chief marketing officer for a company called Reed Exhibitions, who are the producers of Comic Con. So Whoa. I've had several different career lives, but the bulk of it was in marketing. And when I was in my late forties, I started to see the writing on the wall that older people were getting have always been sort of aged out of corporate life. But with the advent of technology, it was becoming much more rapid. So I hung out my own shingle in two thousand three. I started my marketing consulting practice about four years ago, um, Jim Darkangelo was working at a SaaS company and brought me in to do some content development. And it was the first time I was really able to combine my love of writing with my love of analytics and technology and become a, um, a content strategist in addition to a virtual CMO. So that's a, that's a short version. You can't live 64 years without having many, many stories.
1: Yeah, well, you're looking great for a 464. I would not have guessed that. You're doing great. Thank you. And for everybody who thinks that, hey, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe, maybe the, the situation is back with every, everything going on. Maybe uh, yeah, maybe it's too, I'm too young or I'm too old. Give an advice to them because right now, I think people have all these excuses kind of lined up and piled up around them that is stopping them from doing the best work of their life.
0: Yeah, and I always say that ageism, both against the young and against older people, is the final ism that we need to tackle. You know, we've talked about racism, we've talked about sexism, but there's still a a lot of perceptions out there that all boomers are created equal, or that people who are 64 are, you know, limping and walking with walkers and don't know how to get on a Zoom call without, you know...
1: But you clearly showed that that is, that is a myth. That is not a reality.
0: No, and you can't like just you the w- same way you can not typecast women or ethnic minorities. You can't look at somebody over the age of 45 and say, well, they can't can no longer be relevant because they didn't grow up in the tech era. I mean, if anything, you could argue that I've been through more tech transitions and transformations than a lot of working people. Yeah, I went from rotary dial phone to bag phone to smartphone. So at this point in my life, I'm pretty unflappable, both when it comes to business and life in general.
1: Well, I mean, that is an asset right now, right? Like that is a big asset if people can can dig into it. Tell me a little bit more about this whole notion of you being a bad girl. How does that, how did did Ford decide about it? How do you talk about it? What does that really mean when it comes to to media marketing and all the cross-generational things we're about to jump into?
0: Well, my mother always tells me, she's 93, so I have good genes, but she always tells me that when I was a baby, she would tuck me in at night and then I would give her this side eye and she'd walk back into the room and I had kicked all my covers off. So I've always been a little bit of a disruptor not in an anarchistic, obnoxious way, but always questioning the status quo. So before the word disruption even came into the vernacular, I was the original disruptor. And I always did it respectfully. You know, in the days when I worked at Citibank and MasterCard, they're very traditional corporate bureaucracies. But I would be asked or told to do something, and then I would always look for a new and different and creative way, not for the sake of just doing something different, but for the sake of innovating. And we're living in a time now where creativity and that kind of disruption and innovation is more important than ever. I do a lot of mentoring of young women, and it's so interesting because the parallels between women in tech today and the women in financial services in the 70s and 80s are it's it's almost like a mirror image and the only way that we are going to make strides in getting into the c-suite and becoming taken taking more seriously as contributors is to be willing to speak up and break some rules and not necessarily follow the status quo
1: yeah so that, that's what get, got you the bad girl reputation of like, oh, this, this she's going to go and break some glass and move some things around. So that's great.
0: Yeah, exactly. When I started my business and I was looking for a name for the blog that I was writing, um, Bad Girl Good Business just came to me. And I did get pushback from people saying, well, you know, you don't want people to think that you're crazy or anarchistic. Uh, but I do think we're living in an era now where people can be a little bit provocative. And instead of it being seen as disruptive, it's it's disruptive in a good way, as opposed to rule breaking for the sake of rule breaking.
1: All right. So we're about to get into this idea of cross generational uh, collaboration and why it's important right now. And you yourself said that you have gone through four economic crises. You've seen it all. So uh, I just want to quickly welcome uh, Erica and Douglas. Douglas is uh, from Delray Beach. Uh, hopefully, there's you're on the beach right now. Julie, uh, Smear, and Cindy. Cindy's from Atlanta. Nicholas is from Atlanta as well. So a whole bunch of folks joining in. So hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Nancy, who has been in... I think you're an entrepreneur through and through. Like it, I can just feel it, sense it. And I think everybody, if you didn't get a chance to hear the first part, go back and listen to it later on, because she mentions about the stereotypical way of thinking that this is not the right time. This is not, you may not have the right age. You may not be the same person. You have to figure out what is important and just go for it. So you are an example um, that I think young people should follow. Bigger question around the idea of what is cross-generation? Could you have, I have this uh, this printout that you sent me. I printed out and I started laughing hysterically as you had examples in here. Talk about just generation, breaking down the same mentality so everybody's on the same page of what different generations are, are. And then we're going to go through this myth versus reality thing that you did in one of your presentations, because I think there are some real myths that needs to be busted.
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think that typecasting any generation is wrong. The same way you wouldn't necessarily put people of a certain gender or ethnic background into a bucket, we have a lot of perceptions on both ends of the spectrum that Gen Z is this way and millennials are that way and <clears throat> boomers are another way. And I think that, um, and I would just thank you that ageism seems to be the final ism yeah. that we need to tackle. Um, I've consulted to fast companies where I have been by far the oldest person at the company, and they don't quite know what to do with me. But um, there's, there's actual statistical proof that companies that have diversity are higher performing companies because they're getting perspectives of various generations. And I think that in the tech world, it's starting to change a little bit, but there has traditionally been a very strong bias against boomers. In fact, I was just talking to somebody the other day and they said, oh, my experience with boomers has been not great. So I would never hire another one. Um, But would you ever say that about a woman or somebody in their 20s? It's just flat out discrimination. So. my, you know, my dream world would be companies where, in addition to diversity of gender and sexual orientation and ethnicity and skin color, there's also a broad age span. Ironically, when I've worked with um, summer interns, very often I'm the one who's teaching them about new technology because they're not necessarily getting that in their academic lives. So right. again, you can't generalize and say all boomers miss a memo, we don't understand technology, we don't understand where the world is heading.
1: Yeah. Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. Uh, give me give me an example and, and for people to to look at. And if you're a boomer, um, all Gen Zs and Y, just just type it in here just so you, so we you know like all right, what do you think you are? Give me an example, Nancy, where you were able to bust that myth in a, in a, from a content, from a marketing perspective. Because one of the things you shared before we started was that economic marketing, let's just take that as an example uh, for me. And you said that, I don't know what you're talking about, because it is exactly what we did in the back in the days, and it was called marketing. And I busted out laughing because... Yeah, that's what you're saying now that I wrote the next book called ABMS B2B. It's like, it's, it's just basic marketing. So walk us through some examples that you might have that say that, hey, look, we are literally putting a new color, new coat of paint every time we go through some of these things.
0: Yeah, I mean, over 30 years ago, I was at Citibank in the I was head of marketing for the retail bank. and. Um, we did what was today called persona development. I worked with an analyst, Tony Corretto, um, who I still work with today. And we took the Citibank customer base and we broke them into segments based on banking behavior. And yeah. it was a very sort of clunky manual process back then with lots of paper, lots of trees being killed. Right. But the, the concept behind it was exactly the same. It was customer segmentation based on behavioral data. And the only thing that's changed since then, in addition to the terminology, and it's changed radically, is we now have the technology in place to enable that kind of analysis in really, really rapid real time. So you're looking at the data and making decisions or the... The machine is making decisions on your behalf. And five years from now, when AI and machine learning have fully taken hold, it won't even, there won't even be a lot of human intervention. It'll just be self correction. And when I look back, I say, well, this is the same thing we've always been doing. It just used to take a lot longer and it was a lot clunkier of a process. So, um, that's one example of. Something that, that is not really new. It's just been renamed and streamlined. And um, as a content marketer, I've always been writing stories that will engage mm-hmm. and interest prospects. So I'm just writing on CMS systems now instead of on a typewriter or a, an old desktop computer. You, you uh, still
1: own a typewriter somewhere? You have it in your house?
0: I, I It's in my storage unit. I don't have my original typewriter. I wish I did, which was a manual. Yeah. But but I have the first model um, IBM Selectric with the built-in correction tape, which people today don't realize. I mean, I now have Grammarly. I've got Hemingway. Yeah. I've got Spellcheck. But back then, if you made a mistake, you had to repeat your mistake, type over it, and then retype it. It was a pain in yeah. the ass. So oh, we're living my. in a we're living in a much better era. Whenever whenever I, I encounter people who are anti technology, I just remind them of how much easier our lives have gotten in so many ways um, yeah. as a result of today's technology.
1: All right, so we got a bunch of, uh, you know, Julie says she's boomer and proud. Um, there's go. Douglas is talking about like, uh, we collect too much data and our algorithms are. Uh, generationally skewed. Is that true? Is that that do you do you agree with that there are algorithms that because you have written books and you've talked about AI and how all that uh, interconnects and stuff and algorithms by default somebody's writing them and and somebody is, is behind all of those things. Uh, but one of the thesis or conversations is that it's almost biased um, through generations. It's
0: totally biased. it's totally biased through generations, it's also biased by gender. Um, and I've been reading a lot about how as more women get into STEM and more women become coders, it's creating more of a balance. I was having a conversation the other day with um, how Alexa speaks. And, you know, it's clear that she was programmed by a tech geek and not by like a real human. Um, and I think that marriage, and I'm not saying that women and older people are the only humans, but adding that, that perspective, especially as we start moving into the world of AI and voice, is going to be really, really important. I used to write a column for Inc. called Bots and Bodies, which is mm. all about the integration of humanity and technology. So back to your original question about, you know, is technology biased? Yeah, I think it is because the people who are developing are are biased. And as we move forward and are looking to innovate and create new technologies, new products, it's really important that we get the perspective across all generations. And in my generation, for example, you know, I, I plan to live to be 120 So the products that I'm going to need over the next 60 or so years are very different from the products that I needed when I was 24 as opposed to 64.
1: Yeah. Well, you're getting a lot of thumbs up for for wanting to live as long as you want to live. And you got plans and thoughts around the next 60 years of your life. Look at that. Um, Robert talks about like he's he is a boomer, but he's experienced. Um, and know more about pop culture, memes, tech, digital marketing, storytelling than most people ever thought. That, that's true. And you, you talked about stories, and and I, I saw some of your presentation that you have done. Um, and we all know that stories is what we remember every single day. Stories is how, from the beginning of time, whatever text you have read, it's that's how you remember the stories uh, of the day that's the reason you watch movies and remember because, and it literally is the same exact story format. Like one of my favorite uh, books is uh, Donald Mills, uh, building a story brand. I don't know if you have come across this book or if anybody has come across this book, um, but he talks about this seven step framework. Of, there's always a character. Um, he or she meets, meets a guide. Um, they, so it's not about the hero, but the guide who actually is just kind of helping them. There's always a plot of either some sort of enemy takeover or boy or girl losing the other person. So there's something that keeps you on the edge. And then you, we all know the ending. Like we are so suckers for good ending. Like We all know the ending, but we still watch it and say, wow, what a great movie. And the plot hasn't changed for generations. So has marketing changed cross-generationally?
0: Um, I mean, marketing has changed radically in that Technology has enabled us to do so much more, so much faster. But the basic principles of engaging somebody through giving them information, making something interesting, entertainment, that has never changed. That, you know, to your point, the key to successful content, which is again what I've been doing for the last four years, is giving the reader something that he or she can relate to and is relevant to them. So when I was at Mastercard, I was blessed to work on the Priceless campaign and that's one of the longest running ad campaigns in history if not the longest. And really yes. at its core was just taking a functional piece of plastic and humanizing it and saying that the things that the experiences are what's priceless. For those of you who want to follow me on LinkedIn, you'll find a case study of a six-month project I did for a SaaS company, and the technology itself was, for all intents and purposes, a commodity. Um, It was hyper-local mobile search, which Mm. even just saying it, it sounds boring, but we as consumers can all relate to the act of picking up a phone and looking for a pizza near me, and then finding out that the place closed six months ago, so right. I wrote a, a content series where I took something that was highly technical and made it very relatable. And you know, brief commercial. I, I won a, a we won a killer content award this year for oh, the content cool. that we developed. And uh, you know, I dare say that I'm probably the only 64 year old woman that has churned out that much content. in, And we we most important, I should have mentioned this first, we generated 5,000 leads in a relatively short period of of time. So ultimately, that's the other thing that has not changed. At the end of the day, it's all about the results. You could write the most flowery prose, and it could look great. But if it's not bringing in the leads and the sales, then it's just a bunch of blah, blah.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. Nancy, how are you recommending or helping doing marketing right now with a lot of people saying that, hey, look, you know, don't don't sell. sell, 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 take it easy, be more empathetic and and everything. You're not gonna meet the numbers. I mean, a lot of companies have written off, like they're not gonna meet their numbers this quarter um, for a lot of these reasons. How are you? Is, is your content strategy changing? Are you recommending people to go a different route than what you would have normally done today? I'm just curious how you're doing and going about it.
0: Well, again, you know, having lived through four financial downturns, I know the reality that when we're in a time like this, people are only focusing on necessary expenses. So the onus is on the marketer to know his or her prospect at a very deep level and sell in a consultative way helping that person understand why your product or service can be relevant to them at this point in time. But you know the, the sad reality is some people, especially SMBs, just may not have the money right now to invest in a new product. So to the extent that um, people who are selling can be flexible with their pricing or- mm-hmm allow people payment plans or three-month free trials. Like, you know, I don't love what the car companies are doing in terms of their broad-reach advertising. I would rather they save the ad budget and gave it to first responders or people in need. But that yeah. being said, it's really helping people understand how what you're selling could really have a value at this point in time.
1: No, I love that and I love
0: Um, And I'm using this time, you know, as a small business owner myself, I'm still spending on marketing and I'm investing in those things that I know will have the greatest return when the dust settles and we enter the next phase of the economy. Um, And again, having lived through this before, I was much better prepared for, I mean, no one was prepared for a pandemic. So that's the big thing that was very different this time around is that it was, you know, we have all of these health issues on top of economic concerns, but, you know, the same way I was able to quickly switch to my phone when my laptop was staticky, we just all need to learn how to stay calm and pivot because we'll, uh, I hate to even say this, we'll all get through this together. It's like my least favorite ad yeah. line it's such that a platitude but it's it's sort of kind of true
1: yeah it is so true it is absolutely true which is one of the reasons why I'm doing Monday and Wednesday is 9 a.m because I need I, it's a very selfish thing that I'm doing I'll be very honest about it I need these conversations I need to learn and grow and not feel like I'm, I'm stuck um, and you just inspired me to realize we really recognize that hey look the opportunity is all around you there is no age there is no way you know there's nothing that will stop you except for excuses. So it's it's literally an inspiration to me right if now to talk. About- if,
0: if anything, um, companies need people like me more now than ever before. Um, in addition to working full time and, and getting finally getting to the C-suite, at the same time I was doing that, I was raising two daughters who are now adults and one of them has kids of her own. But when you're... A mother, and I think most of my working women colleagues will tell you this, you become very adept at staying calm, pivoting. You know, there's nothing like getting ready to head into an executive team meeting and getting a call from a babysitter that your kids have headlights. You know, that's like, that's reality. And it's like, all right, do I go to the conference room? Do I call the pediatrician? So learning to juggle, learning to pivot. Is really second nature to people mm. like me, who throughout the '70s and '80s had two full-time jobs.
1: Yeah, and wow, wow! Give a thumbs up to Nancy and reach out to Nancy if you need any content marketing needs um, and and areas of like marketing because she has seen all generations uh, <laughs> that we're talking about over here, and and she understands what's the commonalities. She actually, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So. Uh, I want you to share, I'm going to summarize in a second the top three ideas for from this conversation. Uh, as most of you know, we put this recording on Flip on Call podcast as well. So go check it out there in a few days. Um, and also the, the, that I'm, I'm very close to creating a small group um, a, um, to just talk about marketing and talk all these things. So if you haven't reached out already, just hit me up. Uh, but there are three, three things that, that I learned from you, Nancy. Number one, stories. You still need to talk about stories and stories is not a new thing. It's the way people emotionally connect and you need to do it. And right now, probably more than ever, we need to figure out how to do that well. So if you are not a writer, get a writer like Nancy who can help you figure that out because that's what moves people. But number two, you shared example of MasterCard and other companies that you've been part of where what you did and what others have done before is humanizing romance. Humanizing the experiences. So one of the big challenges that I will throw out as I ask you to share a challenge with everybody is: Are you humanizing your brand, and are you putting yourself and your customers out there, and so that people can see what it looks like to experience what you're talking about—not features and benefits and all those things, but really, what is the real, what is the experience going to be? So, so humanize that. And finally, at this point, every marketing and salesperson, this is. This is the time, this is the reason why you're a marketer today. This is the reason you're probably a salesperson today. Your job is to figure out a way to talk about your product or platform, whatever you're selling today, what are you marketing today, and make sure that it's all about it's necessary. I think that is a really important word that I think in many ways with the market going up and down, we have been like, well, look at the flash, look at this thing. And it's like Excel. Like we don't use 99% of, 99 of the features of Excel, we just use like five of them. So it doesn't really matter if they have all of it. So right now, if you are like an Excel who does have um every single thing, maybe you need to start figuring out what is the most important thing for your customers to win that you can help them make more money or we can make it necessary. So stories humanize and make it necessary, um, whatever it is. So Nancy, what's the one big challenge you want to give everybody who's listening to this right now?
0: The one big challenge, um, I would say um, Look at your own um, biases um, in terms of who you look to for help or um, who's in your business life right now and think about whether, and again, it's on both ends of the spectrum, um, young and old, you know, do you still have age biases and how getting over those could potentially help you in your life and in your business? I also belong to a group called Circle. It's C-I-R-K-E-L, circle.world. Um, a young woman uh created this organization to foster more cross-generational discussion and collaboration. And it's a great group because the people who show up range in age from 20s to, in one case, 80s. And we all just sit around and talk about everything from business to dating to technology and we find out that we have more commonalities than we do differences. Wow. So I, cool. I I know that sounds very kumbaya, but you know, I have to say that I've worked in organizations where there has been that age span. And I've seen it firsthand that the results and the conversations are way deeper and richer than if it's just a room full of boomers or a room full of millennials.
1: Absolutely, Nancy, where can people reach you?
0: Um, Nancy F at theonswitch.com and T-H-E-O-N-S-W-I-T-C-H.com. And feel free to follow me on any social media platform. I'm on all of them, including TikTok, but you will not see me dancing anytime soon. But uh, yeah, LinkedIn is my, my main jam. So follow me there for sure.
1: That's awesome, Nancy. Thank you so much. And everybody, if you yeah, thank you for joining. Again, we'll do Monday and, and, and Wednesday. We'll continue to do that. Next week, we have Daniel Ingebertson and then Morgan J. Ingram talking about marketing and sales and what to do when nobody's buying um, as a salesperson, as a marketer. And a lot of us are facing those issues. So we're going to go through practical examples next week. I'm Nancy again. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening.